Sports Interaction, Canada Sportsbook. Welcome to Game Over Montreal. We brought Mark Dumas in right away because, you know, why not? We're here. We're having fun. We're trying something new today because, mm-hmm. frankly, YouTube hasn't been treating us very well with the live videos. So we're going to try straight to recording and uploading as a video. We, we do miss the chat. We will miss the chat during the broadcast because I love interacting with you all. We've got some questions. It's my favorite part. Yeah, it is. It's like, super like. fun to interact with the Habs fans. But uh, we've got some questions from Twitter that we'll go through at the end of the show. Exactly. You know, we just watched this relatively boring, to be frank, uh, Montreal Canadiens game between the Habs and the Rangers. But we've got some positives to talk about. We also had our eyes on the World Junior Championship gold medal game where Canada took Joshua Wah setting up a gold medal That's clinching right. goal. Oh my gosh. Joshua Wah. What a tournament we're, for him, eh? Did we just talk about Joshua Hua for the next hour? Like is that Well, we're gonna talk about him for sure. We're gonna talk about him at the end of the show, along with Owen ah. Beck, Lane Hudson, some other guys as well. Oh, uh, you're putting the milk at the back of the grocery store, that's eh? That's yeah, right. Okay. That's right. Yeah. You gotta stick right. around to get to the fun stuff. First, we're gonna grill you with the painstaking Montreal Canadiens pro club. And how awful they are to watch. But you know what? Frankly, there, there's good stuff to talk about tonight, yeah. as I alluded to. Uh, so before we get into it, we got to tell you, you think you know the way it's going to go? Make your bet with Sports Interaction. Whether it's hockey, football, or basketball, Sports Interaction has you covered. Bet pregame, live in play, or on one of our many prop bets. Sports Interaction makes it easy to play, deposit, and cash out. Join now and see all sports betting has to offer. Want to bet? Head to sportsinteraction.com slash sdpn. That's sportsinteraction.com slash sdpn. 19 plus. Please play responsibly. All right, Mark. I don't know how you felt about tonight's game. It was a struggle for me the whole time with the gold medal game on my phone and the Habs game mm. on my TV to stop from looking at my phone because, frankly, it was it was not a barn burner, to be honest. But I did think that this is the best game that the Canadians have played in quite a long time. Yeah, and, and the bar is super low, but in my opinion, and we're going to get into this, a lot of the stuff that Martin said, if anyone has a chance, go back to what Martin Saint-Louis said before the game. He held about a 20-minute presser, which is kind of rare for him. He, Martin Saint-Louis, like, like many of us, don't, don't like hearing people like me and Andrew ask questions, and he's not a big fan of spending too much time, but I think he made a point today to talk about a few issues, and I feel like the Habs actually listened to him. Yeah, I mean, he talked about uh, he wasn't impressed with anyone lately, which I, I would say that I've still been impressed with Cole Caulfield. I think he's like the one standout lately. But, and and Arbor doing Jack it without I, Suzuki feeding him, which is that's right. always, you know. Because yeah. Suzuki hasn't been great, frankly. And I'm, I mm-hmm. don't want to trash Suzuki. I've seen some Suzuki haters on uh, Habs Twitter, which I think is completely unnecessary. Uh, we all knew yeah. that his production early on this season was unsustainable. Was it, now was he's it getting Habs hit with the refresher. At, uh, was it has fans at 416toronto.com or what's the possible (laughs) possible but uh, frankly uh martin st louis was correct in in saying he wasn't impressed with everyone with everyone with sorry with anyone and he included himself in that and that's really refreshing to me because coaches usually do not do that no so and 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 i feel like there's been it's weird because when when st louis made a few unforced errors for example not using baron on the power play like what's the point why are you bringing him up or, you know, um, Armia top line, which, hey, I mean, long term, that actually might have paid off. So we'll talk about that as well. But whenever I mentioned a few unforced errors, it wasn't as if I'm saying Martin Saint-Louis needs to be fired or anything. But I was getting emails left and right from people saying, OK, it's a little ridiculous that you're criticizing him. 
hey, hey like he's in a learning process as well right so yep. um i think it would be intellectually dishonest to in your unforced errors so but at this point what i love seeing is that he admits that he's been making mistakes that he's learning too so it's a learning process for everyone yeah and and we talked about like how he's stuck with veteran players to try to get them yeah. going like early in the season it was super frustrating watching Mike Hoffman just be completely useless out there. And he kept on getting opportunities, kept on getting on the first wave of the power play, kept on playing mm -hmm. with the top end players. And eventually he broke out. And now for the yep. last like 15, maybe even more games, Mike Hoffman's been a player for the Montreal Canadiens. He's not a liability yep. defensively. He still has his one to two horrendous passes per game, but he actually had a fantastic pass in the last game to Brendan Gallagher, which apparently yep. he was injured and managed to score maybe that's the secret to gallagher he has to be injured to score Jeez. i know i don't know if we'll... but, but okay so all of that saying let's talk another about another unforced, unforced error right is scratching Mike Hoffman Mike should Hoffman. have been in the lineup he should have he really should have 100 let's be perfectly honest it's, it's for a team with that has a, a very i was gonna say hmm, that has literally or virtually no offense or no secondary or tertiary offense mike yes. hoffman is one of the rare people that produces he has great underlying numbers he he, he looks a little bit I'm gonna. Soccer fans might get this, but he looks like Mesut Ozil out there in the in the in, in the midfield because this is a guy Mesut Ozil that kind of relied on his skill and anticipation rather than just going crazy and, and you know and and, and effort wise. Hoffman kind of does that as well in the sense that he's usually where he has to be at the right time in the right place, so he's not chasing the puck like let's say an Andrew Shaw, who people would say is working hard, but Hoffman's putting up better numbers, you know. So I understand perception comes into play with Mike Hoffman, and there's a long history. But I would say he's like, you know, after Doc and Monaghan, he, he's been the, well, and, you know, the top two, he's, he's been the Habs best forward. So, like, he's in the top five right now for the Habs. Yeah, he, he's been really strong. And I know it's, it's very easy to get caught in the cycle of everyone hating on one player. And then you see right. all the mistakes in their game. You're watching them more and looking for stuff to get mad about. Mm -hmm. And I know that happens to people with Yoel Armia as well. And... You know, we talk about unforced errors and trusting vets and continuing to try to give them opportunities to succeed. Armia and Dodonov got that opportunity again tonight. Yeah. And they, with Jake Evans, were the best line on the team. Armia finally scored. Mm -hmm. So, like, I don't... That First mean, goal since. Do you remember his last goal? It was in the last couple games of the season last year? It was um, April 3rd or 5th. Yeah. yeah. That's a while. Yeah, like it took him almost as long as it would take the GOP to nominate a house speaker. Like, yeah, it was pretty, um, like pretty, Very top pretty long time. <laughs> I really took, I really got into that one there. It was like, it was a long, long journey, but uh, yeah, I love seeing that too from, from St. Louis because as much as I've criticized him for some of his usages, uh, his, his usage this season, a lot of it should have gone better. Right. Statistically speaking, like for Dadnov and, um, Dadnov hasn't been as bad as his numbers or as his, his scoreline indicates Armia. I don't know if the efforts or the efforts been there, but I just don't know what's going on with his decision-making, but there's no way he should only be at one goal by now too. Right. So yeah. there is value there in reinforcing, uh, that, uh, you're not going to leave these veterans behind because like, I mean, the Habs have so many veteran players. They want to move and those guys will talk to other players. So you don't want to be known as a team that trades for bad contracts and lets your career die. Yeah. So, you know, as you said earlier, Martin Sinou is in a tough spot because I think he's getting a lot of direction from up top for where they want to see some guys displayed. You know, when Josh Anderson goes to the top line, I don't think it's necessarily due to good underlying numbers. It's it's to pump up some value there. So 
I feel like Martin St. Louis had a very difficult task this year, and he's admitted it. it's frustrating. Players are annoyed, but um, hey, man, that, that's what happens when, you, when you're in the midst of a rebuild, and, and you can't complain one way or another, but at the same time, I do feel like St. Louis is getting a little frustrated by his excess of, of forwards, guys, like the, the Dadnovs of the world. Yeah, and, th- and that makes sense, right? Like, they're so loaded with players that they don't want for, for the next few years, right? And it, it's going to be tough to to move some of these bodies out and start getting the younger players in. And you look at the defense, and it's either a bunch of veterans that you don't really want to see play or, like, five rookies at once, and then there's <laughs> struggles that come from that. You know, it, it, it's between a rock and a hard place. But I have to say, like, the people who have turned on Marty St. Louis in such a short time, I think this period of time right now where the Canadians have been until this game really like truly bad, which it was only a stretch of like four games, but like truly mm-hmm. unwatchable, right? Yeah, from Christmas to basically the last game, yeah, it was Yeah. Just step off all. Step off. Absolutely off. brutal. But at the same time, like you wanna tank, yes, but you mm-hmm. don't wanna be horrendously bad, of course. You want to be competitive every game, but like there's 82 games in a season. If you're going to build a team that is going to, to tank, even if they don't want to tank, like the, the players themselves never want to tank, there's going to be stretches that feel like that, that are hopeless, right? Like oh, I yeah. think the difference between what's happened here, where people are like, wow, it feels like Ducharme, and I, I've said the same thing, is that that Ducharme situation lasted like 40 games. Oh, yeah. Like, do you remember at one point it was even Sham almost made a liar out of Jeff Gordon because when Jeff Gordon came in, he said, I'm not going to. No, no, he'll be here. Or, or was that when Ken Hughes came in? Either way, they're like, no, they no, said they weren't looking Gump. to replace the coach, right? Yeah, exactly. And then it got to a point where I think it was actually more of a mercy kill. Like any farmers yeah. out there, you'll understand what I'm talking about. It was more of a, OK, like this has gotten to the point that it's so bad that it might impact these players long term. We're not even close to that this year. Not even remotely no. close. No. I think the effort at least is there. And going back to what St. Louis criticized. So first he said, um, I need to be better. I think he does. And that's, that's the other part. Like, I think we're allowed to talk about some of his unforced errors, but we're not going to turn on him. Like it's way too early for that, you know, all in good time. But also one thing he pointed out was, was how horrendous the starts have been for the Montreal Canadians. Yes. And I think tonight, again, the bar is so low that, that, you know, it, it, it'd be disqualified in limbo, but I think that tonight was probably their best start in almost a month. Uh, They held a high-danger scoring chance advantage, and it's so important to look at that stat because the Habs right now control about 41% of the high-danger chances during the year. That's actually much worse than last year. So to see an increase there, that is a very, very good good sign for the Montreal Canadiens and that they're they're listening. I felt like tonight they tried. They just didn't have the talent, whereas the last five or six games – it was no on that. See, we didn't try, and we didn't have the talent like potential dans la poubelle. So tonight was encouraging because you saw the effort, and uh, obviously the UL Armia goal. I wonder how much you could have made on betting on UL Armia scoring tonight. I think last time I looked, he because I I looked when he could have scored his 69th goal in his 420th game, and it was <laughs> I believe it was like five to one or something. So oh, okay. if you bet a hundred bucks, you'd get back six hundred bucks, like your original hundred that you bet, and then. So if you bet sixty nine dollars, you would get back three hundred. <laughs> Don't make okay. me do complicated math. <laughs> three hundred and seventy nine. Okay. <laughs> but anyways, I mean, I just I I I know there's going to be highs and lows, and and I think when you look at what Saint Louis done this year, 
I mean, five rookies on defense, Andrew, is when's the last time that happened? I think it was 1917 when the Maroons played like the Wanderers for the first game in the history of the NHL. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty unprecedented, right? And as you mentioned, the scoring chance advantage in the first period, they had the high danger scoring chance advantage each period, actually. They were 50 50 in, in the, the third period, but they were either 50 50 or better in scoring chances overall, all three periods. You know, uh, held the advantage. That's unheard of for the Habs. Like, no, literally, I know, we like, have not heard it yet this year. Yeah. And listen, the Rangers aren't amazing, but they're on a heater right now. Canadians uh, mm-hmm. held the advantage in expected goals, four percentage at even strength. All situations, These, this not was a so good much. Loss. But yeah. Yeah. Right? This is a, a loss mean, that they can build on based on what Marty St. Louis said before the game. I think there's lots mm-hmm. of positives to take from it. The mm-hmm. What I think would win against them tonight more than anything, obviously, uh, Scoring not working for them, but uh, Jake <laughs> getting Allen outscored by their opponents, Andrew was yeah that, that yeah getting outscored that that led to the loss. But I thought Jake Allen was kind of soft on all three goals, not to like hang him out to dry or anything, because I think he made saves what? on shots that were more dangerous than all three goals. But, the classic Marc Andre Fleury there, yeah, yeah, <laughs> making great saves and allowing a few bananas. Yeah, exactly. And like again, like I think maybe only the second one could be classified as like a banana, but at the same time, it's just. If you're a good goaltender, you kind of expect to stop all three of those shots. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But I think also one thing that we have to look at is Jake Allen and Samuel Montembeau, uh, if not for them, the Habs would have been at this point, like this this terrible point from the start of the year, right? Oh, so yeah. Yeah, I absolutely agree yeah. what you're saying, but I feel like those two, for what they're paid, what they're paid and what's expected from them, I kind of feel like being like, hey, your watch is over. Like, you know, like that'll do big. That'll do because I feel like they've played three seasons worth of hockey in, in the first 40 games of the season. So I, I think all in all, if you can keep having games like this, Andrew, where, where Allen maybe allows a couple questionable goals, but you, you know, you put up a goal yourself, you don't allow nine goals against, that's what you want to see going forward. Because as we saw in the Canada game, there's a lot of talent coming up at the next draft. And the more they lose, like the Habs right now, combined with Florida, who, by the way, Florida's going to start winning. Like, it's they're not going to finish bottom 10. That's you underestimate Paul Maurice. Okay, yes, there is the Paul Maurice <laughs> factor, but like, statistically speaking, they, they it's not even close. Like, they shouldn't be there. But mm-hmm. combined with the, the Florida stats, the Habs are sneaking in at fourth right now for the best odds. I know that's not how the odds work, each pick has its own odds, but um, rough and you know, rough and tumble, you can see right now the Habs have the fourth best odds of drafting first overall, and the more they lose, the better it is because. I don't know if you saw the underlying numbers last month, Andrew. Other than Anaheim, who I think they won a couple games, but Anaheim's been putting together just the the most trash pile of underlying numbers. But the Habs finished at 38% high danger chances, about 32% expected goals. Like, it was really bad in December. So if that trend can continue, I mean, the Habs are are, are looking at a legitimate chance to draft Connor Bedal or Mishkov or or Fantelli, you know? So that, that man, that would make... Imagine one of those guys in the lineup that would be such a game changer for the Montreal Canadiens. Yeah, I mean, it's a foundational change for the franchise, right? Like, and even if it's not Bedard, like I'm talking, you know, when you're looking at the, that top five is, whew, whew, it's a, uh, you know, it's a type of thing that you, you dream about. So every single loss for the Montreal Canadiens, short-term pain, long-term gain. A hundred percent. And the fact is they're going to get at least one fantastic player yeah. in this upcoming draft and the Florida pick if they can just miss the playoffs and like, frankly, they're probably going to miss the playoffs. Oh, Oh, they have so much. Yeah. Yeah. I, like, okay. Sorry. I, I don't know if I, I, I explained it right earlier, but no, no, no. you said they're Florida's not be better than 10. where they are. 
Yeah, you yeah, said they're but, not going to be bottom 10. Like they, but they're not going to – it's too far for them to make it in the playoffs. I think I was looking yeah. at it yesterday. I'm like, geez, you know, it's it's such a grind to get points in, in the playoffs. Uh, sorry, at this point in the season. So, yeah. And also, what about the pick they're going to get for – I was going to say Yoel, but uh, Joel Edmondson. Because yeah. you know they're going to get another good – I think it, maybe I Sean was, was Monaghan, it, who's back at practice. Or Lebrun. Like, this isn't just – you know, random talk. I the, the the top analysts are saying it was Chris Johnson actually um, that was saying it'll probably be a first round pick for Joel Edmondson. Then you have Sean Monahan, maybe even Josh Anderson. So I don't know if those if teams will actually give up their twenty twenty threes anymore. Yeah, maybe twenty twenty four. And that's fine too because you do want to stagger your draft picks, right? So, 100%. Um, and if you can convince someone to give you give away a first round pick and you have to delay a year that's actually decent for the canadians rebuild right now it kind of fits in those age groups so so 100%. yeah I, I mean the pain right now is going to be as someone told me this when we started this year i'm like hey like relax it's going to be a fun year in the sense that there's no expectations then expectations got high and someone said well it's a development year i said exactly he's like then they said it's a development it's the development of pain this year <laughs> so that's what it is for montreal canadians fans you develop that pain and eventually it will be uh, long-term gains because as we're seeing like i was actually texting with um owen beck's parents during during the hockey game because during during the halves game because i just wanted to get their impression and um they were saying like Connor Bedard at 17 is 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 not just displaying the type of skill that's unheard of. It's that maturity. Like he's already got that Crosby-esque mm-hmm. captain. You know, today after they said it's not about he's like, it's not about me. And they were even mentioning Beck's parents. We thought he'd be a little greedier because, you know, he's by far the best player in the world. No, 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 no. This guy was playing as such a team player. Um, and, and I know a lot of fans are saying Fantelli didn't have a good, but I mean, the guy wasn't playing a ton, right? He was essentially getting fourth, fourth line assignments. So I don't judge too much based on the World Junior Championship just because well, usage comes into play. And the other thing is, you got to remember, like, Fantilli's playing as a 17 year old, right? Like, yeah. this is a tournament that is for 19 year olds. And the gap in, mm-hmm. in terms of physical maturity in those two oh, years God. is astonishing for, for like, go back to what athletes. is that? That's like ninth grade to like third. Oh, sorry. You guys didn't have 13th grade in Quebec, eh? Um, so it was well, OAC, I, was, but that's a I grew huge... up out west, but yeah, we had grade oh. twelve. Uh, Quebec okay. ends at grade eleven, then they go to Sejep, which I think is okay. Well, system. imagine imagine you in twelfth grade compared to you know a kid in in ninth or tenth grade. Essentially, yeah. that's the difference. You know, uh, oh god, yeah, absolutely. And just it, the fact totally that different. Beck made it as an eighteen year old, I was genuinely surprised because this no pedigree. He doesn't have that hockey Canada legacy, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and but just that intelligence level at 18 to make it, I, I actually was surprised they called him up over kidney, but, um, and he didn't play a lot, but what a, what a feather in the cap of Owen Beck. What a year he's had from being criticized to being not, you know, falling out of the first round, getting all these interviews with Toronto, finally landing Montreal, getting an ELC, going back to the junior, exploding goal scoring wise. And then, then finally team Canada, he said this, that's what he wanted this year is that he really wanted to, uh, it'd be a dream come true. So, that was his uh, dream come true. Anyways, all that to say, the tournament's not meant for 17 and 18-year-olds. No, so and that's pretty what impressive. makes Bedard's yeah. performance oh, so God. impressive, right? Like, people are comparing him to, like, Peter Forsberg's record-setting. Okay, but it wasn't but, as good as Peter Forsberg. I'm going to say this right now. Well, well, hey, hold on, hold on. Yeah, Peter Forsberg did... Uh, I am the biggest Peter Forsberg stan alive. You are a he, huge... Yeah, you probably yeah. have a Marek Zvatos shirt somewhere there because they played <laughs> together at one point. Like, yeah. But, like, he did put up 10 points against Japan. Right, and I'm pretty sure he was 19. I, was I think Connor. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Uh, well, 
Connor Bedard's tournament. Was he though? Because didn't wasn't there something about Forsberg staying? Oh no, I'm thinking about Matt Sundin now. I'm just mixing up my Swedes. Because um, Forsberg didn't play in the NHL until he was 20, I believe. So he would have yeah. been at the the World Juniors. Like he played in 94, 95, and he was born in 93. So he's 21. 21 when he played started in the NHL. So he would have okay, played in the World, World Juniors. Juniors. I'm like, yeah, okay. So it just goes to put that the difference in the the physical like there's physiological differences here. So and even it's unfortunate that we didn't get to watch some of the other top prospects at the tournament. But even if the Habs miss out on the top three, which is likely, um, you're still getting some high end talent there that that, that you should. All gonna I'm gonna say this, and it might be a hot take. I think the top five this year would have they would have all gone first last year. I, actually, maybe oh, even yeah. like the top seven. Uh, yeah so yeah the difference in, in, in and i don't think it's necessarily that last year was so weak i think it's just that this year is man this has the potential to be an all-timer so if the Habs can continue to lose good which is which is how i i want to describe tonight's game because the effort was there the start was better um they didn't give up as they have in the last five six games so if you can keep that up you know you might be able you're not, never going to catch chicago because they're just man that is one they're awful terrible. hockey team but <laughs> but you know back to back top 5 picks hey man that that's what changes a franchise now you got to hit on them you have to hit on you them do. but there's always some pretty decent players available at 5 um wasn't Kale McCarr the 5th overall pick i think he was like 8th or something wasn't he Bon. but e- so either just go way out and get a Kale McCarr no big deal yeah but either way i i've heard people talk about this as the best drafts like equivalent to 2015 and for those who don't remember, let's talk about, like, just quickly, I'll do a rundown of some of the players who were in the first round in 2015. Connor McDavid, Jack Eichel, Dylan Strome, Mitch Marner at four, Noah Hannafin, Pavel Zaka, eh, Ivan Provorov, <laughs> Zach Wierenski, Timo Meyer, Miko Rantanen Kyle Connor 10. was in that draft. Thomas Shabbat was in that draft. Yes, Kyle <laughs> Connor, at, yeah, after, uh, after Boston had three picks in a row where they nailed none of them. Like yeah, and even Erickson Eck has become like a really good two way two way uh, center. So yeah. Well, even guys who are thought to be huge busts like Lawson Kraus. Lawson Kraus is having a phenomenal year right now. Is he? You know what's yeah. funny? Lawson Kraus went back to he like because I can be a bit of a dick on 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 Twitter. It's very true, and I was being pretty critical of him during a it was like a World Juniors prep thing, and he kept getting blown up by there was this really small. I think it was um who's the name of Adam Fox actually that like just lit him up with a hit and you know obviously a lot smaller and he went back and he favorited all the comments or people saying like Lawson Kraus you just got like you just got knocked out like so I, I kind of love that because that's what Mike Hoffman did with Habs fans this year for those that don't know he actually favorited a bunch of really critical tweets and I, I kind of like seeing the uh I love seeing that when when players don't take themselves too serious yeah okay and going back obviously Noah Jolson that that that's unfortunate but um even into the second round, you're getting guys that were like very, very useful players. Like impact um, NHLers. Rupe, Rupe Hintz went mid second round. Yeah, he's phenomenal. Like, right? Yeah. He's, he's so phenomenal. I don't know if he's if he, what happened last night there because I, I saw that he had might have gotten injured. But uh, yeah, so it has the potential to be a franchise altering um, draft for the Habs. And, you know, it, it's different in this case because as we mentioned, you have Adam Nicholas 
that's involved. So, yep. you know, that's the kind of guy that you want your skills, you know, you want your young players around. And I know Yura Slavkovsky has loved being around Adam Nicholas. And I think we might have to talk about Yura Slavkovsky a little bit too. Yeah, right? I, I think that is a good like segue into the world juniors because I know like Shane Wright had a fantastic night tonight, right? And mm-hmm. anytime oh, Shane Wright, goal. yeah, it was Woo! beautiful. It was vintage. Doug Gilmore used to score a lot of those because he had a, the, the deal, but back in my day, so we wore an onion on our belt because it was the style at the time. And uh, we'd say, give me five B's for a nickel. But Doug Gilmore used to have a straight blade, and that's how he scored backhand goals. That these kids can score backhand goals with a like Newton's, they're breaking all sorts of laws of physics right yeah, now. That it was doesn't just, make much man, sense, but no, yeah, to me, no. it was vintage Sidney Crosby, right? And I said that on Twitter, and I was like, you know, not many guys could uh nail like, are you saying he's better than Crosby? <laughs> no, 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 I was saying like, not many guys could label a backhand, no, no, but for sure, you got corner that like, that. like that, yeah, and people like, yeah, well exactly your Slavkovsky could never do that and i was like listen guys let's not compare playing in junior which is what the mm-hmm. world juniors is i know it's the top end of junior but it's still junior hockey to playing in the nhl shane wright struggled yeah. in the nhl big time brant clark was not great in the nhl the best defenseman in this tournament david yurichek who shout out alan walsh client he still uh, hasn't <laughs> played in the no no he hasn't played in the nhl yet he's AHL, he's been great in the AHL, but in this tournament, he was phenomenal. Best he was a world beat. Actually, and it's far. funny because right before the Habs drafted, we were just having a little meeting at the Bell Center. I was saying, like, they really, if it, I know they're not going to do it, but right now I'd be looking at two guys and they're both defensemen. It was Simon Nemich and Juracek. So, yeah, will be interesting. But, but to get back to it, Slavkovsky was never going to be that high-end detailed guy right at 18, right? Mm-hmm. That's what we we're talking about. So today, what I, what I really liked... Obviously, there was the promotion, and, and Martin said we discussed a lot of things that Slavkovsky has to improve upon, but he was saying this experience that he's gaining, even though it's difficult games, is invaluable. And I do agree in that sense that, um, you know, it, it's the peaks and valleys of every prospect's development. And tonight, what I really liked was after that pass that Slavkovsky made, which led to the first shorthanded goal against the Canadians this season, he was right back out there on the ice and making good plays. So I thought that was a really nice way of Martin St. Louis to be like, hey, listen, everyone saw that. Put it out of your mind. Get right out there. And, uh, you know, it's kind of like when you get into a car crash, you have to get right back on the road well, if you can, because if you wait for a while, it'll start to build up in there. So I really like that vote of confidence from Martin St. Louis towards uh, Uri Slavkovsky because it was a, it was a big mistake. It was. It was. And, you know, I, will th- I know we're going to segue into the World Juniors, but... I wanted to say, like, Arbor Jackai has continually improved lately, I think, and has been... Do you see his game score? He's, again, one of the best. Like, he's become the better, the best rookie now that Ghoulie's not in the lineup. Yeah, he's stepped up big time. Oh, he is... It's amazing. You know, I think this is now his sixth straight game without a minor penalty. However, he should right? have... He should have tripped Kreider on the breakaway. If you're gonna... If a guy's gonna get a breakaway on you and you have them within reach, just take the penalty. Every time. Every time. Yeah, I don't know how you feel about it, but to me... I, I would take a penalty against like it's a twenty percent power play. Yeah, I think it's yeah. a better call statistically to take the penalty in that yeah. case, um, especially but, when you're on the power play, right? So you're cutting into that two minutes with four on four time. But I think the risk here is that it's Chris Kreider, so it's it's kind of like the juggernaut. You don't want to point him towards your goalie no matter what. You're afraid. You, I was so impressed. <laughs> he had him Kreider's. at the offensive blue line. He could have tripped him. Though. Yeah, he's just like, oh geez, like I don't want to. You know, he's already gonna smash my goalie. So it, it was nice to see uh, Chris Kreider uh, and and Yahoo Alak in a game that uh, didn't involve getting anyone run. But um, I think Arbor Jackai continues to impress. 
not only for his defensive play, I think tonight he got, actually got out of position a few times, which has been rare for him. He's been pretty good in that respect. Like he hasn't been emeling it by going out of position, but his breakout passes have been fantastic. Like he's he's got much better vision than I anticipated. And um, as you said, if he cuts out those penalties, you know, those those those, those game score, like the, the cards that people put on Twitter and they say, here's all I need for analysis, which completely like, throws out all the context. Yeah. Those numbers will start to look a lot better because they obviously and rightfully weigh penalties against as, a, you know, a huge ding. So if he can get keep that under control, man, I was calling him the, the Lyle Odeline, but that might be underestimating. <laughs> Hey man, okay, no, we will. There's there will be no Lyle Odeline <laughs> disparagement here. But honestly, I, I like, I'm almost thinking of a Barrett Jackman in his rookie year type of thing. Hopefully, he keeps up the speed, keeps up, and it's, he's already a little bit offensively better. But man, it's been really fun to watch, especially because he breaks all the preconceived notions that I've had in terms of big tough defensemen. Usually, they're bad. Let's be perfectly honest. Usually, they're For bad. Sure. Statistically speaking, very bad. So. That's been just the most amazing story. And I guess we have to thank Marc Bergevin, right? Yeah, I mean, frankly, no, there's no choice about a, a lot of the players that we enjoy coming up through the ranks right now are holdovers from Gulli, the previous Caulfield, regime. Suzuki. Yeah, yeah. Well, I yeah. mean, Joshua Wood, Roy, speaking of, of one, Joshua Roy, yeah. who set up the gold uh, gold medal winning goal tonight. That's another... And uh, yeah. Frankly, Joshua Waugh, who oh, when he made tournament. this team... I, I kind of expected him to be a bit more of a depth forward because Canada seemed to have a bit of a stacked team. I know he played and a huge role. And they started on like the third line, I believe. Yeah. yeah. He had a huge role in the summer tournament, but mm-hmm. like, again, in that tournament, he worked his way up the lineup. Same thing here. He ended up on the top line with Connor Bedard. I believe he finished second or third on... Third in scoring Canada behind scoring. Stankoven, yeah. Yeah, like, and Stankoven is... A, Friggin' phenomenal prospect. Oh, man. I actually really want, and I know this is hindsight, I wanted the Habs to, that's who I thought they were going to grab with their first I mean, first he also day. wanted the Habs to draft. <laughs> yeah, and then and then they could have had an all-Habs line there with Roy Sankoven and Connor Bedard. Imagine Maybe? that. Imagine that. I mean, it would be but great. No, he, he, he was fantastic, I think, too, Stankoven. I feel like Roy's almost been bored with the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League this year, and yep. when I watch him, it's either he's just dominant or comme ça, il tente pas. Like, he's... And, Maybe it's a little critical. Maybe I'm expecting too much from a fifth-round pick, but what I saw from Joshua Roy in that tournament makes me think that the transition to the NHL might be a little easier than I anticipated because he will quickly become affable to all his coaches. Like if you couldn't put a guy in every single situation, shorthanded, yep. power play, five-on-five, five, and he's dominant, that's you become like a better version of... Jake Evans is a bad comparison because their style, but in terms of how quickly coaches trust them. So that'll go a long way for Joshua Roy, who I'll be honest, Andrew, he did not look good at development camp. He did not look good at training camp. I thought this guy would be almost guaranteed to sign a contract with the Rocket, like a one-year deal, kind of like Raphael Hervé Pinard, but he didn't deserve it. So it's really fun to see him kick it up a gear, you know, when it matters most. And I'd like to see him continue that because Sherbrooke has a legitimate chance to win the Memorial Cup. So it'll be good to see, hopefully he keeps that up you know, when he comes back. And then, you know, that changes everything uh, for for the upcoming... I'm not sure if he gets into the Canadiens lineup next year, but, you know, you put him in an important role in Laval and, and see what he can do. Because this kind of tournament was just, you know, playing with Connor Bedard. I know you're going to say it's easy, and, and it probably is. 
but he didn't play the power play with Connor Bedard. And he was setting up. He was doing a lot of the hard work on these goals. A lot of the stuff that goes unrecognized. Neutral zone play where, um, you know, he's shutting down plays and he's restarting them immediately, almost like Thomas Tatar. So I really loved what I saw from Joshua Hua. Um, you know, top three tournament scoring without power play time beside Bedard. That's pretty darn impressive. Yeah. Ten even strength points at the end of the day, including They're, the primary all assist. Of them, right? uh, no, he had one power play assist. Uh, I guess, oh. oh no, he had a shorthanded goal as well. So nine, oh, yeah. <laughs> nine even strength right. points. But the fact is he still all set up the, like the primary assist on the gold medal winning goal. He was involved in basically every uh, high end, like high leverage play in the last three games I found. Like, yeah, he was just absolutely incredible. His game rose with the stakes. I, I'm i with you that I did not think that Joshua Wah was this far in his development path and maybe it is a case of he's a little bit bored in the qmjhl i remember watching during the lockout in like 2012 13 uh jonathan huberdo playing and yeah. uh, i went up to see a game in blameville and he was bored bored out of his damn mind he ended up mm-hmm. with like three points in the game and he didn't play well at all and he hardly like, woke up yeah. yeah yeah and then you know he made the Have nhl and he won rookie of the this- year there you go. Have you watched Sherbrooke this year? Because like you have no. uh, Dylan Gotzi and then um, um, Nathan Gill, I believe. Sorry if I missed those names up, but it's almost a constant blowout. However, when I saw him, I believe it was against Quebec is essentially their biggest like rival right now in the queue. And they played so well against them. And Hua, I believe, had four points and his team had four goals. So you're seeing him excel when it matters most. And I know people will be critical about that, but I have no issue with, with Hua not being you know, obsessed with going at 110% on an afternoon game against uh, Akadzi Bathurst there. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, like it's not, I know people, because there's a work ethic issue with Hua, but now it's not to the point that he does, he has bad work ethic, is that he's kind of controlling where he's putting his effort and, hey man, every single junior player does it. So yeah. it, it, this tournament to me was just a nice confirmation that he's improved on. His skating looked like decent. It's never yep. been a strong point, but the ability to be put, he, he's a, a Swiss Army knife, essentially. One hundred percent. You know, someone mentioned him in 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 on Twitter, Canadian Lekkonen, and I was like, oof, I don't want to put it at that far because he doesn't have the same vision and and probably worth skating, but yeah, that's not out of the question because defensively he's actually pretty darn good. Yeah, and the the fact is, like, I remember talking to uh, Mitch Brown and David St. Louis last year about like the things that he needed to do to mm-hmm. in, to translate his scoring from the NHL. Or from the uh, QMJHL to the NHL, because and how like, they were worried ask. that it wouldn't his skills wouldn't translate at all. Right, like, that, that was my biggest issue. Yeah, players like him who s- scoring is easy for in junior. Think of Jonathan Dre, right? Mm-hmm. Jonathan Dre in junior could shoot from the blue line and score on 16, 17 year old goalies like it was nothing because yeah. he was just way more skilled than everyone else, and he never really developed those pro habits. I saw pro habits in this tournament, going to mm-hmm. the tough areas, sacrificing the body to set up his teammates. Excellent forechecking. His penalty kill play, like when he exactly. killed that full minute. I, I, so yeah. that kind of stuff to me, and I, we always overrate the World Juniors on prospects, right? But we're not just talking about point production. We're talking about the actual skills that he showed That's game by game. That's what I look at, yeah. And I'm just very impressed with Joshua Wah, and I would not be surprised if he pushes his way onto an NHL roster next season. I think it Maybe even better. an audition this year? Mm-hmm. Mm, maybe, but I, I oh, think it would be better if yeah. he went to Laval instead just a better yeah. environment I think to grow with, mm-hmm. but he's not the long-term project. I don't think that I thought he was six weeks ago. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and I think one of the most poignant parts was when they asked Connor Bedal, like, who who would you, because he was getting all the praise, you know, he's like, who would you praise? And he's like, Joshua Huat, right away. Con- like, the best draft pick or, or will be the best, uh, you know, prospect in the world was like, no, this guy is like, I've been following his lead. Now, obviously, Bedal is a pretty good communicator and all that, but uh, I thought that was really, really impressive on his part. And, and I mean, you know, you look at a guy like him, Joshua Huat, fifth round pick, you're playing with house money regardless, right? So one thing I would keep an eye out though is Riley Kidney, rough for him, but he's getting traded tomorrow from what I hear, like almost guaranteed. Okay. Um, and he might be joining Joshua Roy. So that in, 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 with the Phoenix, yeah, with Sherbrooks or, or um, yeah, the Phoenix of Sherbrooke. So that would be pretty, and no guarantees right now, but I heard Sherbrooke was, was kind of in the mix there. So if Riley Kidney could line up with uh, Joshua Huat, you know, make a Memorial Cup run, that would be pretty fun to watch. That would be incredibly fun to watch. I mean, that's the thing about, like, even in this tournament, I think every prospect that the Canadians had in this tournament played at or above expectations. I think, like, the point production wasn't there for Lane Hudson compared to what we expected. Or Kapanen, but their game scores were, were fantastic. Exactly, right? And, like, Philip Misar, like, his point production isn't gaudy, but he was on the top end of his team, and I believe he led his team in game score as well. He was top, I think he was seventh overall in the tournament in game score in the prelims. So, And just from the games that I yeah. watched, his playmaking was astonishingly good in that mm-hmm. tournament. And one thing I'd like to see him do a little bit more of um, in Kitchener is that physical play because he didn't shy away from it and i don't want to be that old boomer like you know he's got to get stronger but it's not that it's that he was creating offense out of it so um you know he's a plucky little guy and if he gets in there obviously you don't want him to get injured or take too many hits but if he can keep that intensity with that physical play back to the ohl the the rangers loaded up believe it or not because i thought i was i heard he was out of kitchener i heard 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 he was pretty much gonna get traded i heard the canadians were like hey do you want to you want to trade this guy by any chance, you know? So, but they brought in uh, Zilkin and uh, Arcuri, you know, was leading the OHL in scoring. So, uh, Meshal uh, and the Rangers are also going to make a little run there. And, and I think just based off what we saw, he started scoring. He had four goals in his last three games for Kitchener, if I remember correctly, before. Played really well there. I honestly, I think it's ridiculous that he wasn't one of the players of the tournament for them. But, um, if he can continue that momentum, I mean, it's going to be so, so positive for Meshal. And then, Adam Engstrom played really well, like like very, very well. Um, I'd also suggest that Vincent's, Vincent's Rohr for uh, Austria, that's a tough situation to be in. You know, he you know hurt, you're going to get right? Agdal. Yeah. And, I mean, there's who's their other player? Um, Marco um, Kasp? Um, anyways, they're missing a really good player. So he was essentially their only, you know, quality player. And... It, it it it's always difficult facing Canada, but from what I got told, he was a fantastic leader and uh, he did really good there. He's putting a ton of shots on net, so good tournament for him. Lane Hudson, if you look at it, yeah, the points weren't there, but I I I was watching his game play by play, and he was making so many intelligent plays. Like he was, there's so many good things, and his game score again was one of the highest of the tournament. So all in all, the Montreal Canadiens, their game scores combined, which is a metric that just kind of evaluates just a bunch of stuff. Uh, they had the strongest prospect pool. At the World Juniors, and that's Saint Yurai Safkovsky, you know, and 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 that's without counting Connor Bedard. So, so you know, all <laughs> it's in already, all, we're, we're counting him as a Canadian's prospect. Oh yeah, yeah, I absolutely. Mean, but all and, in all, in all, I think it was one of their best tournaments from the organizational standpoint for the Habs. And we talked about, you know, 
uh, Joshua Waugh being the guy who was there in big moments for Team Canada, mm-hmm. Lane Hudson is who set up the bronze medal winning goal for the USA in a game, which is probably one of the wildest games in the history of the World Juniors. That, like, how many leads did the USA blow in that game? I, I'm not going to lie. I missed most of it for a sweet afternoon nap. But uh, I missed most yeah, of it I trying to it take after- care of the, the kids. It happened to be around, like, daycare pickup time, but... Just a wild, like that, eh? wild I'm game. like, oh, I missed it because of a sweet nap. You're like, oh, I was in traffic picking up my kids. <laughs> <laughs> the duality of man. Yeah. But uh, yeah, no, Lane Hudson, I think uh, what this really did is it reassured me. I haven't been able to catch, catch a ton of Boston games this year, maybe five or six. And I, I'm not always convinced that he's making the right decisions. Sometimes he's just purely coasting on talent, which is, you know, understandable i thought his decision making was top notch during this tournament yeah yeah he those are the things you want to look at right he's just an incredibly smart player yeah absolutely and there's someone who who am i forgetting out of oh oh, oliver kapanen okay yes finland it was a little disappointing they should have done better let's be honest They, they were probably the better team against uh you know sweden but that being said Okay, yeah, two goals, one assist, not not a ton of production, and they probably would have wanted more from their captain. But if you look at his scoring rate right now in the in in Liga, he's leading all under twenty players in scoring. And um, Thibaut Chatel, who's a guy on uh, Twitter who does a bunch of stuff with European leagues, he shows that uh, Kapanen, statistically speaking, has been one of the best players in Liga this year. So you know, all in all, and and I don't even know if you rate Kapanen top ten Habs prospect. You know, like he, he's part of that old crew and the new crew this year really took up a lot of those spots. So yeah, it's did. fun to see the guys at like the eight, nine, 10, 12 spots doing good. Like I, I, I think this was just a fantastic tournament for all involved. Let's not talk about your Slavkowski. <laughs> yeah. Poor guy, <laughs> Do you I think guess. honestly, Slovakia, everyone is telling me Slovakia wins with Slavkowski and I'm like, against Canada. Maybe. Yeah, maybe they just need, but maybe not. Goal. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe Bedard turns it up another notch, right? It, who, who, who could know? It's it's all ifs and buts, right? But they probably get to yeah. They probably get a better chance, that's for sure. I mean, Slavkovsky in this but, tournament, I would assume, would be a man amongst boys, right? Like, just his but, but also, it's it's no guarantee, right? That was the other no. risk. It's no guarantee that you're going to go dominate. Um, no, so, I mean, like, I, and even if you were to go dominate, there's no guarantee that it actually helps your NHL game, right? Because it's it's going back to a level of hockey that you're supposed to be past, right? But yeah. uh, one last thing about Joshua Wall, which uh, someone brought up on Twitter. Because we're gonna today. have to get to some uh, fan questions here. Oh yes, we'll that. do. Want to wrap it up with some fan quick. questions? Okay. Yeah, for sure. But one last thing about Joshua Wall is as great as he's been in this tournament and in the last tournament. A month, if he was born a month later in the calendar year, gonna, he would have been yeah, draft eligible draft. last yeah. year, right? Yeah. Instead of two yeah. years ago. Yeah. So, I don't think that's a huge difference. Eleven month round, <laughs> not a chance in hell. Like he would have right? been draft eligible after leading the queue in scoring. But the crazy part is that even if even if that was the case, he had I, like fourteen years old. They said, "Oh, he's lazy." And guess what? I was pretty lazy at fourteen too. I mean, I'm still lazy at whatever age I am now. But it's um, what I really liked is that he put the onus on himself. He admitted he's like, "Yeah, I was man," because I was better than everyone. Like, yep. But then I got to a team. Sherbrooke, um, that really wanted to help me improve upon those things. And when I spoke to their, their co- Stefan Julien, I believe, he was saying, listen, we don't get credit for this. It's Josh that came to us and said, I want to get better. Help me. So I think there's a lot of maturity there for, for you know, a 17-year-old kid to be like, hey, 
like uh, my career is in doubt right now. So that is very, you know, very encouraging. Yeah, it is 100%. Huge hats off to Joshua Wall. And hey, Owen Beck, we didn't talk about him because he didn't get very many shifts, but every shift he had for Team Canada after coming in in relief Fantastic. was an absolute banger. And uh, he should take a page out of, I think it was Zach Dean's book. I don't know if you saw the post on Zach Dean's Instagram where he posted no. the highlight of his uh, his setup for Fantilli. And he said, oh, what a pass by me. <laughs> so what? he's like, what a pass by me. Like he posted his own highlight and like, oh, okay, okay. Credit. I thought you meant about like tonight there. I was like, okay. <laughs> no, no, no. You know what? No, for the last I, like I love oh, it. Yeah. I love it. I love the yeah. personality and Owen Beck, Joshua Waugh, Lena Hudson, Every Canadian's prospect, give yourself a pat on the back for this yeah, one. That it was, was a just tournament. a fantastic World Junior. Yeah, and and I'm gonna say this before we get, man, wasn't it nice to see the World Juniors back in a junior rink? Yes, I'm like, man, so much Andrew. Better. Okay, did you go to some of the games in Montreal? No. Plat. It was boring. Was it was the worst. The atmosphere sucked. The only good NHL ter- um, rink World Juniors has been Ottawa. Had a like one of the best ever in terms of attendance, and they kind of ruined it because everyone's like, oh. Let's just do what Ottawa did. But Ottawa also tied in. If you wanted gold medal tickets, you have to buy round robin tickets, right? So it was well, you know, it was unlike Montreal. And Buffalo had a really good World Juniors. But since then, it's been such a disappointment in these big empty rinks. And I'm glad they're sticking with places like Halifax. And I, I just want it to be Kelowna, Red Deer, you know, yep. Shkutsimi, like that type of, you know, like London, Kingston. Like this idea of trying to capitalize on the World Juniors. I understand we're at end game capitalism, but I actually think you you have a probably a better margin for for um, profit by going the junior route because your overhead isn't as high, and uh, you know it's a big event in these towns. Whereas, you know, in Edmonton is like, eh, you know, it's, it's a world class city. So kudos to uh, well, I'm not going to give them kudos, but it was a good move by Hockey Canada to rectify their mistake. Let's put it, it that way. It 100 percent was, and good move by the IHF as well. Um, yeah. Edmonton's gonna be so happy that you called them world class city, but uh, <laughs> let's well, get to the I, questions. Hey man, the mall—it's a big mall. I still remember getting lost. <laughs> it there. used to okay. have dolphins, right? Oh yeah, because I know at one point the, the Oilers practiced there. But anyways, okay. There's one here from John G, who is Madi at 19. He says, "Anybody think some heads should start to roll for this?" Pathetic excuse of a power play. Losing is one thing. Boring loss is not acceptable. What do you think? Uh, I, I don't think heads roll is the right expression. I think everybody assumes that Alex Burroughs is the guy running the power play. Marty St. Louis is involved in the power play. like Very much so. They work together on it. It's not working. Marty St. Louis used to consult on the Columbus Blue Jackets power play when John Tortorella was there. Guess he used to consult play? on the Rangers power play when he was a player. Like. Yeah, like he, like, but when he was consulting for the Blue Jackets, they had the worst power play in the league. So I don't think Marty St. Louis has figured out how to run a power play yet. That's like either he needs to have somebody else brought in to do that mm-hmm. for him or he needs to admit that it's not his thing or he needs to learn something. And there's not a lot of time for learning on the fly for an NHL coach. So it'll be something that he None. has to work on in the summer. But think think of his schedule from day to day. He, you know, you wake up, obviously you go over if it's a game day. So you have your morning practice. Um, then in the middle, you do all the video and then you meet with all your players. Quick nap, you eat. There's a game. You get on a plane. You're reviewing the video from the last game. Like that's from seven to, to two in the morning. You non-stop. forgot media no... before and after the game too. Yeah. Oh God, man. Talking to people like me, like that's, you know, hopefully it gets paid well, but yeah, no, it's, it's a, it's, it's definitely a learning process and there hasn't, and, and this goes well beyond Martin Saint-Louis. This goes since Markov has left, right? So yeah. you could argue it's a personnel issue as well. Seeing guys like Lane Hudson, Adam Engstrom, um, 
walk the blue line that's exciting for the future but uh i i just don't see the value of firing a guy like alex burroughs right now because i'll tell you why andrew they love him they absolutely love this guy and i know there's that old french saying si bon dans la chambre, tu laisses dans la chambre. if he's good in the room leave him in the room but um there is value to having a guy like burroughs where players can go talk to him and be like hey man like i'm not doing good what's up whereas saint louis i think is a little colder on that and he has to be right he's the head coach so yeah I don't see the value of doing it now, but I think you do reevaluate at the end of the season, right? Yeah, you do, and you might he might move into a different role, right? Uh, it, it's 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 a tough situation because the power play is terrible, and like we talked about tonight, you know, the game was pretty boring. Seeing Chris Weidman back on the first wave power play, I'm like, listen, I know that it wasn't working before, but no, stop that. He can't do it. He's too slow in terms of foot speed and too slow in terms of decision shoot. making. Yeah, like every time Chris like Weidman has the puck, yeah. he waits. He tries to wait for the perfect opportunity, and then it's gone, mm-hmm. and all he can do is shoot into a shin pad. It drives me nuts. So, so uh, there is yeah. a personnel issue there too, because let's be honest, they've tried five forwards, which usually we'd be celebrating. Unfortunately, it's not amazing it five working. forwards. So, yeah, um, but it's hey, listen, the Montreal Canadiens have had the worst power play not just this year, in the last five years. So I think. Yep. I spoke about it earlier this season. People said, no, that's good. I, you don't have to have the worst power play in the league to draft first overall. There are some things like the power play, and Nick Suzuki admitted it's getting really frustrating, yeah. um, that you can improve without destroying your draft odds. And you don't have to go to like 30%, right? Like you don't have to have... No, 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 like over killer. 13%. Yeah, you just have to not be in a situation where getting a power play is a negative. <laughs> that's that's, well, that's exactly it. What's supposed to create momentum sucks all the life out and exactly. uh you know the so yeah yeah absolutely no i but i but i think you reevaluate but you don't you don't talk about firing this is yeah. part of the process we knew the canes were going to be bad so you kind of hope that they learn from it but by yeah, next year I, if it starts at, i was just saying i don't think you fire and like an assistant coach mid-season during a rebuild it's just like it, no but it even at the end of the panic, year right exactly but i think maybe next year when things are starting to get a little more serious and if it's that bad then yeah you uh you are you reevaluate do you have the questions in front of you, or do you want no, me to throw another didn't. one? I don't know if you sent them to me or not, but no. I also, I didn't. I I didn't see them. Um, <laughs> we have um, hyper influx, which is at Morostuita. Asks, what will the Habs do with Hoffman, Dadanov, Drouin, and Armia, considering their stats? Because we've talked about trading them, but in my opinion, Jonathan Drouin has negative trade value right now. Yoel Armia has negative trade value right now. Evgeny Dadanov has negative trade value right now. Um, and Hoffman will get a return. But um, out of those four, obviously, Dwayne's on an expiring, right? Yeah, I don't... The thing is, they're in a position where they don't necessarily need to get anything for those guys. Mm-hmm. I think Hoffman stays this year. I think because he's been a good team guy, they seem to like him. He's rebounded a little bit. I think yeah. they wait until next year so that they don't have to take a hit on the return. And it's just an That's what's been contract. holding up the Habs this year is that they don't want to retain. Yeah, exactly. And like, I think they could retain for like a two-year situation like Armia or or uh, even Edmondson or Hoffman. I don't think that would hurt them at all. But no. it's better to not have to because you can look at the cap flexibility that they use this year to get uh, Sean Monaghan, right? They got a first-round pick for that and Sean Monaghan, who's great. And they'll probably trade Sean Monahan for another first-round pick either in 2024. There's no other centers. Like apparently Horvat's gonna maybe stay in in 
Vancouver, so I, I'm very interested to see how they make that cap work. <laughs> Monahan might, yeah, but Monahan might end up being the best center available, um, even though he hasn't played. So yeah, that back that'll, practice, that'll be though. very interesting. Back in practice, they got time before the deadline. They just got to keep yeah, exactly. Healthy, that's all. And he's a but, center that can play both ends of the ring. Like remember Thomas Plakanitz at the end of his career got a second round pick there. You yep. know, so yeah, yeah. So, I think yeah, the, uh, yeah, yeah. Centers are always valuable. Uh, Armia. I feel like even without like they're gonna have to buy retain out. to move him at no, all. Just buy out. Buy I don't out. think that they have to, because if he can okay, get, you're you're be, you're being hopeful. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not even being hopeful. I'm being look at NHL GMs, right? Armia he wins a uh, lot of board battles. <laughs> he wins a lot of board. He does win a lot of board battles. He does. He really does. <laughs> he has a giant body. He has skill. It's just slow had, from brain to hand. Sort of in the playoffs at one point. Yeah, he definitely performed in the playoffs last time. And yeah. GMs look at a guy like that and they're like, "We could fix him, right?" Yeah, He's the ultimate. We four years, like guy. three years left after this. Eh, that's the. Is it? I thought it was two years left after this. I, oh no, maybe the buyout lasts four years. Is what I'm thinking of. Sorry, I have buyout numbers in my head right now. Uh, I, I know I they save two point. Even two years it? left is a tough sell. That's a lot because year. the cap is not going up much yeah. next year. I think that's so the biggest So they would right have now. to think, retain half. So you make them a buyout. Let's be honest. That gives you a little more flexibility to re-sign Cole Caulfield. And the so what you get is you get about $2 million and then $3 million of relief. Then you get dinged for $1.3, $1.3, if I remember correctly. In a couple of years, by then, the cap is expected to go up by about $10 million in the next four years. So... I don't see any other option than you buy out UL Armia. Like, and it sucks yeah. because I don't think he's been as bad as his numbers look. But I mean, that to me ended up being probably the biggest fumble from Marc Bergevin. Um, you know, again, lack of foresight. He got so excited that this guy was winning board battles. And he was. That um, essentially cost them Arturi Lekkanen, right? Because they had no more space, space to sign them. So, yeah, I, uh, I think you close the chapter on the Joel Armia thing and you just buy him out. You know, let him let him go start another career somewhere. Because if you keep him toiling on the fourth line, healthy scratch, that's kind of destroy his career as well. So, well, I think he I'd is like a fourth just... liner in in like the best situation for him. I think that he's just Yoel Armia is a fourth liner on a contender. That's what he is. That's his, his best situation where he's not expected yeah. to score a lot, but because he's playing on a fourth line that's actually good against like really low competition, he can mm-hmm. chip in fifteen goals a year. But yeah. the Canadians just they don't have the team structure to support him. It's a lot like Mike Hoffman. He's, he's a luxury player on a team that can't afford luxuries. And I feel like he doesn't really fit the Martin Saint-Louis um, style or concept of just kind of trusting your instincts. He's more of a structural, like, you know, X's yeah, he, and he O's kind of guy. structure, for sure. Yeah. He needs the structure, so I feel like he's a little bit lost in Martin Saint-Louis. But to me, okay, so you're thinking they might be able to just keep him and then write it out? Because I'm thinking well, buyout. I don't, sure. I don't think write it out. I think if they were to retain half, they could find a buyer. It's just they're not going to get a huge return for him. And it's the same kind of thing with, like, uh, Jonathan Durant and Evgeny Dadanov. I think there would be a little bit of disappointment in the Dadanov return because e- even if they can move him, they're not going to get a lot, like, when he was brought over in the summer, people were like, oh, shit, free first round pick, right? Because they're thinking of what he did post-deadline for Vegas last year, right? Where he was angry and he, like, spitefully won them a bunch of games. He's not that player right now. But if he could just produce a little bit, I think they could get a third round pick, you know, like something like that. Druen, fourth or fifth. But I think Druen, even if they do trade him, they don't have to. If they get almost nothing, even future considerations, it, nobody's going to be that upset because it's the last 
uh, last organ last management group's mistake, right? Yeah, he's not under pressure to make wants a fresh start for him as well. Exactly, I think the the two big guys that they're probably going to trade this year around the deadline, they're going to bring back significant returns, are going to continue to be Sean Monahan and Joel Edmondson. Yeah. Joel Edmondson will end up getting, oh, big time. First round pick all the time. Okay. I think we have time, what, for one more? And then we'll wrap it up, Andrew? Is that sure. what we're doing? Okay. So you you have your pick here. Um, want to talk goalies or do you want to talk Martin Saint-Louis developing talent? Let's do, Which one? Well, I think we already touched on Martin Saint-Louis developing talent. So let's do goalies. Okay. So we have one here from, um, <laughs> it's actually, I, I got to find his exact name, but he, yesterday he made me laugh because, okay, what is it here? What's his name? Um, Ferris Bueller. So it's, it's a kind of a joke off the Ferris Bueller. I don't know if you know, he has a yep. yellow suit. I'm sure you reckon him from Twitter. And yesterday when, um, Pete Blackburn, he was, you know, getting angry at Canada because we always have that back and forth. And he's like, he said a kilometer bagged milk evening to you, sir, which just <laughs> like, I don't know. A kilometer bagged milk evening was one of the best things uh, I've ever heard. Okay. What route should the team go for the long-term goalie situation? And that's pretty much a good one because things have gotten a lot worse recently. Obviously, Jake Allen's not here long-term. Verbetic having a bit of a rough year with the Trois-Rivières. Um, Caden Primo, let's be honest, he's out of runway. Uh, yeah. I think Jakub Dobesh. Jakub Dobesh is doing great for Ohio State. And you have other, um, Dekau, who's being okay. He's the backup for Frolunda. But I don't think you can actually really declare any of them with starter potential just yet no. so so what do the Habs do uh maybe they should sign Milic from Team Canada <laughs> I you know, know I looked at his numbers too and I'm like because they're good they were very like Don, not not Don Levi type good but they were good yeah he's got a 919 for the Thunderbirds this year 912 last year 913 the year before you know it's, it's hard to project goaltenders but is, is it because he's not six foot five? Is that the issue? I mean, that could be an area where the Canadians could exploit, right? Like he's a smaller goaltender, but we've seen smaller goaltenders succeed. Like look at UC Saros, who completely shut down the Canadians. The oh, other when night. he's six foot. I mean, but I guess for goalies, that's almost like, you know, he's five, David Dernay out there. Yeah. yeah. Six foot for goalies is like the five, seven for, for forwards, basically. <laughs> but I, yeah. I would look into free agent signings. They're probably going to take goalies every year for the next couple of drafts, just like later rounds. But flyers, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, and I think it's just one of those things where I understand people want to have like that one in the chamber who's a for sure, but it seems like the more sound strategy for most clubs now is just to draft a Find bunch something. of goalies in the later rounds, and mm-hmm. one of them turns into something. Spaghetti you know? Western, you, you throw a bunch of shit at the wall and you see what sticks. That's, and Gorton has a long history of finding goalies. And you tend to go into the NCAA and Europe because you're going from two years to four years that you own their rights. So, um, yeah, I, I absolutely hate the idea of drafting a goalie before the fourth round. Obviously, there's always some exceptions. But um, to me, I don't even know if I draft them that many. Andrew, I'm feeling like teams now are just signing. Like, you know, the, the Avalanche came into the season with what? With Frankuz and, and, and Kemper as their goalies? Uh, that, Georgiev, so less than Kemper. Uh, Georgiev, yeah. Okay, so there was a bit of a... Uh, okay, so that kind of destroys my whole argument. But ever since the, the Blackhawks won with Niemi, um, I've kind of been convinced that to win, you need good goaltending, but not necessarily great goaltending. And mm. in the Canadians' past, yeah, they're depending on great goaltending, but that's not sustainable. So I'm not that worried about goalies. There's so many good goalies out there and so few positions for them to prove their worth. Like every organization has essentially six spots for goalies down to the ECHL. So 
it's tough to get a read on them. And, um, you know, I, I don't worry too, too much. And I'd also would like to kind of see his numbers got a little more normal, but Montembeau kind of showed a lot more than I was expecting this season. So goalies peak around 26, 27, 28. I wouldn't mind seeing, you know, what he could do as a starter for, for a whole year. And again, I think it's the 17th time I've traded Jake Allen, but you trade Jake Allen at the deadline, uh, you know, uh, and honestly, it'd be cool for him too to, to be playing with a contender. And then you just see what happens with Montembeau. Sign about, like, goalies are the weirdest value on in the NHL trade market. They're the most important player on the team, but they have no value. So, um, yeah, I think you go the, you exploit the um, untapped market region. I wouldn't even, you know, yeah, sixth, seventh round pick, sure. Like, like what they did with Caden Primo. But other than that, you don't worry about it. You can find a pretty good goalie pretty easily, in my opinion. Yeah. I mean, look at the Boston Bruins, right? Everyone Jeremy was Swayman. freaking out about them losing to Karask, and they're like, well, we'll just... Which, to be fair, I mean, yeah, I get it. Yeah, you know, like, one of the best goalies in their franchise's history, and then uh, Jeremy yeah. Swayman obviously is a, a prospect of theirs, but it hasn't been Swayman carrying the bag this year, right? It's been Allmark. Yeah, And well, Allmark has been incredible, who they just stole from Buffalo, who mm-hmm. had a great season in Buffalo, and the same There's, like, there's a know, bunch of Allmarks you. in the NHL every year, right? It's, yeah. it's basically the way I look at it. Um, it, you know, it, I think it's I, one of those things where like you look at Stanley Cup winners and I don't think people think you can't win with like a star goaltender and I don't think that's necessarily true you can't win with a 10 but, million dollar star goaltender the thing <laughs> is I think you I think you could but it's how you build your team and if you build your team around the goalie I think you end up being good but never great and yeah. nothing says that more to me than Carey Price and Henrik Lundqvist both retiring with no cups or Jose Teodal. Okay, okay, yeah, yeah. That's where you're going with that. Well, no, Jose Teodal basically did that for the, what Price did for the Habs for many, many years as well. But yeah, I um, if your goalie wins a Vizina and a Hart Trophy in the same year, you are a bad coach. Okay, that's a, like Probably. you're over reliant. And if I, I, there's only one coach that's ever had that happen to him, and it's happened to him twice. Michel Terrien, comment ça va, mon chum. So yeah, I w- honestly, I know in Montreal there's a long history of of, of, of okay goalies, but. I wouldn't worry about it, and I actually don't mind the idea of kind of moving away from, as you said, building around a goalie. Because yeah, there's logic there, but there's very few success stories. Yeah, a hundred percent. And I, I mean, just in the personal enjoyment of hockey watching thing, I always find it less stressful to not be super invested in the goalie because then I don't care what the end, the final score is. Whereas like yeah. being like a super big Carey Price fan, if the Canadians would win like six five, I'm like. Man, just couldn't have like one six three, you know. Right. Keep the save percentage high. No, so I, just for enjoyment level, just have the the free agent or the like uh, the mercenary goalies come in. You can kind mm-hmm. of move through them. That's the way of the future. The money goalie era was pre cap for a reason. It was the Patrick. Well, I guess or the one then then after that, and but Hashik you got to get away from it, right? Belfort, yeah, exactly. Cujo. But I mean, man, Allmark is. At 940 this year? That's crazy because... Yeah, he's it's, insane. The, the the scoring is way up. Yeah, but Boston... But then you go down Boston. this list, so Tristan, Jerry, like these are guys like Darcy Kemper that... Oh, Logan Thompson, that was a really good move by them get, grabbing him, but... And he actually might win the Calder, we'll see. But uh, about half these guys in the top 20 have moved in the past, and they've moved several times. And when's the last time a goalie got a good return on the trade market? I, I can't remember. It's been the, a while. The, the jersey traded for, what, McKenzie? No, I'm... Um, Back in the day, didn't they trade their first rounder for a goalie? 
I don't know. After Bahadar, well, we should probably wrap on. it up. We've gone on long enough. Yeah, exactly. Once I'm starting to think of old trades, but anyways, all that to say, thanks for the questions. They were fantastic, but I wouldn't worry about um, the Montreal Canadiens goalie situation. Goalies are not as important as they were back in the day. 100%. All right. We'll be back on Game Over Montreal on Saturday. I'll be with Laura Saba. It will once again not be live. Love Laura. Love Laura. Yes, She's the best. The best. Laura Saba from Locked On Canadians. She's Make the sure best. you follow them. Hooray. The active stick on Twitter. And this has been Mark Dumont from Ooh. Montreal Hockey Now. And Don't forget to Montreal subscribe and, and, and like, fellow youth. Oh, yeah. That's How do you do, fellow You See, usually I'm the one being reminded by Robert. This is true. Uh. <laughs> so subscribe, like the video, uh, hit the bell, make sure you enjoy everything, and uh, we'll see you on Saturday. Game over! Powered by Sports Interaction, Canada Sportsbook.